Hey, 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 uh, welcome in. It is uh, time for uh, our Thursday voyage into uh, fun and excitement here. Patrick Johnson's show. Uh, we're going to have John Feinstein later on in the hour. Uh, John, of course, uh, best-selling author. And uh, John Feinstein, uh, for years covering uh, Mike Krzyzewski and Duke at the ACC and uh, had a, a column about him on the uh, Washington Post's uh, website uh, today. So we're going to talk to John about the uh, legacy of Coach K. We're a, uh, just a little bit away from Pirate Baseball. Uh, scheduled to go off uh, with the regional beginning on uh, Friday. Of course, the weather is uh, very much a... Uh, factor in uh, this and the rain and uh, all of that and we'll see how uh, all of this goes and what ends up happening uh, but the uh, Pirates and Norfolk State getting ready to uh, do battle in fact we're going to have our Pirate Report coming up for you uh, next segment we'll hear from Cliff Godwin we'll hear from uh, newly minted All-Americans uh, Gavin Williams and Connor Norby as well and then uh, bring you some of the audio for the uh, two ECU track and field athletes that are going to compete in the nationals in the individuals uh, next week in Oregon and uh, also uh, ECU's brand new softball coach we will uh, hear from him uh, that is Shane Winkler uh, as well so that is uh, coming up in the Pirate Report we have an action-packed show for you today I uh, want to start with some uh, news of course the, the retirement announcement from uh, uh, the news that was broken yesterday and then kind of the announcement today with Mike Krzyzewski uh, next year being his final, this upcoming basketball season being his final year. Uh, but I do want to uh, pass along uh, our, our best wishes to a guy who's a great friend of the program, uh, the great Mick Mixon. Uh, it was uh, announced this morning that Mick is going to retire at the end of this upcoming uh, NFL season. He'll have been the uh, voice of the Panthers for 17 years. And uh, Mick Mixon has always been great when we've asked him to do things. Uh, you know, we've got a great relationship with Zoki, and I hope personally they'll move Zoki to that role. I, I love me some Jim Zoki. Uh, but, uh, you know, Mick's always been great when we've had him on. We just we kind of wanted to be a little different, so we had Zoke on uh, and have had Zoke on the last couple of years after Panthers games. Uh, but uh, we'll get Mick Mixon on soon and talk to him. Uh, Mick, it, it, I, I think Mick has blossomed into the role. He's become a fabulous uh, fabulous play-by-play guy, and uh, but he's just even better of a human being. Uh, having gotten to know Mick over this last uh, decade and a half plus, he is just a a gem of a human being. And uh, uh, our best to Mick Mixon as uh, the uh, upcoming NFL season will be his final uh, behind the mic for the uh, Carolina Panthers. He's a good guy and uh, one of the real good guys in this uh, business. Uh, so we've got uh, no concert on the Common tonight. We told you that yesterday, uh, obviously postponed because of the weather and uh, the washout. We're uh, uh, obviously uh, keeping an eye on that. Cliff Godwin doesn't want to talk about the weather, so uh, uh, in our comments we won't have a whole lot about that. Uh, something that did go down today, a couple of uh, press conferences were held in Durham. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski uh, holding court, but also John Shire spoke to the media. Probably a little bit of uh, a, a lesser coverage on that. Uh, but uh, we'll turn our attention to that briefly here right now. Uh, ACCSports.com's Brian Geisinger uh, was the man on the scene uh, there. Brian didn't catch uh, any of the uh, Shire press conference, caught some of Coach K's. But let's start with the John Shire side of things. Uh, what did he talk about today? Certainly an exciting time for him. He's 33. He'll be 34 at the start of next season. Um, I mean, this is a guy that, like, is really sort of, like, wrapped himself up in the program. Outside of a couple of years that he was playing pro ball, like, he's basically been in Durham since 2006, you know? And it, for me, I'll say this about Shire. Like, it really started to, especially after Capel left to take the Pittsburgh job in 2018, 
it was like, oh, there's a real chance he could be the guy, right? Mm. That you, you always know the way these, the way, it felt like this is how this happened with UNC, where like when the Hall of Fame legendary coach at one of these, um, you know, sort of like family oriented programs retires, steps down, the logical step is going to be looking inside the family for the next person, right? And so you're just looking around and you're like, who's the closest person here? And uh, that is also a, you know, a great candidate. And so that was Hubert Davis to replace Roy Williams. And now you've got John Shire as the coach in waiting to replace Mike Krzyzewski in April 2022. He's been the associate head coach since 2018. Um, and he's been on staff prior to that for, for a handful of years. So this is a guy that was a team captain at Duke on the 2010 title team. He was a, an assistant on the 2015 championship team. Plenty of guys that, that Duke could look around and, and, and tap to be that person. You know, they clearly, they, they, they looked into Tommy Amaker, the former Duke guard, now at Harvard. Um, there was speculation about Johnny Dawkins. Um, and certainly we've seen, I mean, like for years, the wonder has been like, is, is, would, would Cable be the guy? And I mean, who knows if, if stuff had gone better at Pittsburgh or if Jeff Cable had just stayed at Duke for three more years. Uh, I mean, timing is everything, I guess. Yeah. And Shire is the guy for this moment. He has also been a monster recruiter for him. And, like, you and I know this. Your listeners know this. Like, college basketball, man, it is all about roster construction. It's all about the talent on your team. And John Shire has been the lead recruiter for Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson, Jalen Johnson. Uh, yeah, I could Frank Jackson. I could keep listing yeah, off other yeah. other five star names, but also this incoming freshman class. Brian Geisinger, ACCSports.com. We'll get you back on to talk about some of this uh, a little later on, uh, and I don't want you to have to necessarily crystallize the Mike Shashevsky press conference, which was huge in scope, uh, in just a few seconds here. But kind of my takeaway from it was. Uh, here's somebody who is very forward thinking the changes in the game are, are not the reason he's leaving like has been speculated to me I think he just wants to get out while he's still healthy and can enjoy his family he even sort of touched on it briefly he said like look this isn't about the game changing like I've been doing this for 46 years you don't think the game has changed a bunch in that span of time like it, it's just now changing for the first time so he said not only did he say that's not the reason he said that would be a bad reason for someone to actually get out of coaching <laughs> would be changes in nil or the transfer portal or whatever and i didn't like look i look jeff goodman's like the, the premier college basketball insiders so like i'm not questioning his sources or, or whatever but like that tweet that goodman put out yesterday it just it just struck me and it was identical to one that he had about roy williams two months ago after roy retired that Changes in, in name, image, and likeness, and transfer portal, all this stuff is just um, is, is, is like too much, and these old guys are looking to get out of it. I never bought that. Coach K has spoken in favor of updating the rules in college athletics, too. So, no, no, no. I was glad that he sort of addressed that and just sort of focused more on the, the next stage beyond Duke. And also, sort of how fortunate he felt to even have the opportunity to uh, to get to do all of this. It's Brian Geisinger, ACCSports.com. Thanks a lot, buddy. Yep. More on Coach K and his legacy with John Feinstein a little later on in the show. Pirate baseball and uh, tomorrow game one between Norfolk State and ECU, the number one seed in the Greenville Regional. You'll hear every pitch of the postseason here on the flagship of the Pirates, ninety-four-three. The game. Coach Cliff Godwin addressing the media earlier. He was flanked by a couple of newly named All-Americans. Connor Norby named to the second team for collegiate baseball and junior pitcher Gavin Williams named to the first team. Coach Godwin asked about uh, 
Tuning out all the noise at getting ready for the postseason run. I've said this a lot recently, but this team is as battle-tested as any team that we've ever had. You know, going to back before conference started, our guys uh, you know, had to go through injuries. Somebody asked me yesterday, says, hey, your team didn't have any injuries this year. And I was like, whoa, uh, I guess I missed uh, Hoover being out for six weeks with a shattered face and Gavin missed time, Wisenhunt missed time. I mean, there's been a ton of guys that missed time. So we, we maneuvered through that, and then we get to conference, and we're the best team by far on paper. And for our guys to have to play four games in three days and 36 innings, to be able to maneuver through that was really special. And I don't, I don't know if we've ever had a team here that is more battle-tested. So when you say hype, I mean, look, there's, that's what East Carolina is when you – you play baseball here, there's pressure, there's hype, there's all that stuff. But we haven't been on social media since Tuesday at 9 o'clock, so I, I don't, we don't see the hype now. Of course, it was announced yesterday that Carson Wisenhunt will get the ball in the opening game of the regional, and Cliff Godwin was uh, asked about Carson Wisenhunt's reaction when he was informed about that. I don't think anybody was expecting to. The coaches tell them who's pitching. I mean, Gavin would have went game one if we'd have told him to or – Cooch or Smitty or whoever it is, and it's not a big deal. Carson's just going to take the ball and treat it like any other start. Cliff Godwin asked about how his team is doing physically and how much rest they've been able to get uh, leading up to this regional and uh, everything going on in Greenville this weekend. Uh, we're in good spot. I think our guys are as, as healthy as we can be. Um, Bryson's still a little dinged up from going into the wall, but I'd bet my house that he'll be able to play tomorrow in some capacity. So, um, you know, he doesn't feel great, but look, he, he knows that he wants to play and he will, will max an unbelievable job. And also our doctors just getting him to feel better throughout the week. It's our pirate report. ECU Norfolk state set to open the Greenville regional. And this was uh, Tyler Feldman from channel seven asking about the Spartans. Tyler, I hadn't scouted him at all yet. I'm going to look at some stuff this afternoon. Um, I know the guys got really good numbers that we're going to face in Deloach and, so they've stole, stole a lot of bases. Look, they wouldn't be here if they weren't a quality opponent. So um, I'll look more in depth at the pitching this afternoon and tomorrow morning early. But uh, I know they're a great team. Coach asked about uh, the decision again to start Carson Wisenhunt and, and kind of what went into that decision. Uh, this is Cliff Godwin's response to that question. I, I don't think you guys should make it bigger than what it is, is you put yourself in a position to win the regional. I mean, that's what, when you host a regional or you go on the road, just like we did in 15, we knew that Reed Love probably gave us the best chance to beat Miami. Now, we lost game one against Columbia, so Reed had to pitch against FIU and we ended up losing that game. But still, that put us in the best chance to possibly win the regional, and that's the discussions that we have had as a coaching staff. Coach Godwin asked about the importance of getting off to a good start in the regional. Well, it, it, it's easier if you win. I mean, look, in 19, we lost and still won the regional. I think you put out there at some point in time this week that what is ECU like two and six or something in openers of regional play. Uh, I don't want to fact check that because I really wasn't reading it too closely, to be honest with you, Ronnie. It was two and four in the last two, six. Two, two and four. So, two of those losses were definitely before you. So I think you're two and one. Just Yeah. To, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I didn't think you were like pointing the finger at me that in game one because uh, I don't really care. As long as we win the regional, I don't give a damn if we win the first one or lose the first one. As long as we win the regional, so um, excuse me, but that uh, yeah, we'll. 
put our best foot forward tomorrow and we'll go from there. So a little bit of the uh, back and forth and interchange there as far as uh, what the Pirates have done in recent times in the opening games of the regionals. Uh, this is a, a question now about uh, a packed or at least uh, rowdy Clark LeClaire Stadium. Uh, it just it means the world to me because I can't imagine hosting a regional not being at full capacity. And for the younger guys who haven't experienced this, it's it's pretty cool. And to be able to do it three years in a row, I want them to enjoy it. I want them to take it in and, and always tell the story. When Turner was our shortstop at 19 and, and Ryder was our third baseman, Turner, you know, they ran on the field. He told Ryder, hey, man, look around, take this in. This doesn't happen everywhere. And I'm getting chill bumps talking about it because it doesn't. It doesn't happen everywhere. And it's a special place. Pirate Nation's awesome when Clark LeClaire's packed and the jungle is rocking. It's as loud as any place I've ever coached. And uh, this question for Bal Myatt, talking about 2018 when the uh, Pirates had to uh, pull their starter uh, because of weather. Cliff Godwin saying at the offset of this that he did not and was not going to talk about that today. Uh, but uh, Coach was asked about preparing for that possible uh, possibility with a, a rainy Friday in store. Well, I'm not going to talk about weather, but it was Agnos, you know, that started against UNCW. And Agnos obviously had a professional career in front of him, just as I protect Gavin when he walks in the door, you know, and goes, hey, I got an inning today after he started, you know, two days ago. I mean, that's our job as coaches to put our guys in the best situation to have long-lasting careers in, in professional baseball. So, Look, you can't control the weather. Every team has to deal with the same thing. It's not like we get affected by the weather more than another team. It is what it is. So, um, yeah, we were up 5 nothing when the weather delay or up 3 nothing, and we scored two. We were up 5 nothing, but we were not going to run Agnos back out there after over an hour and a half delay. So those were the questions for Cliff Godwin, and then the uh, questions uh, turning to the players from the media earlier today. This was a, a question for Connor Norby. Has been the leader for the Pirates this year offensively, and uh, Connor was asked about the excitement of uh, the regional back in Greenville for a third straight year. Uh, I mean, I know I've lost some sleep the last few nights just thinking about it. It's it's special, um, and to have like to be able to have that again this year is it's awesome, and I'm excited to be a part of it again, and I'm excited for the rest of my teammates to that even haven't seen it, like Jacob Starling, guys like that they get to experience it for the first time because it's seriously the best time of the year. Connor Norby asked about leading. Well, he was asked, to, could he talk about the weather? And he uh, he said, since God was not talking about the weather, he said this. No comment. So then Connor Norby was asked about uh, the, the uh, you know, the practices kind of leading up. And just, you know, again, those practices and these practices being with uh, any difference, you know, from maybe practices during the season or practices in the fall? I mean, it is different, but at the same time, it's not. You got to treat it like any other game, any other week. Um, don't change what's worked. Uh, we've treated this like any other game week. Um, today was no exception. We, I mean, we have the NCAA reps out there telling us how long we can go, but that's about it. That changes. Um, we go about our business as usual. Gavin Williams asked about uh, how he was feeling physically and uh, how he was feeling overall, feelings, heading into the uh, regional and presumably uh, a start when the Pirates play their second game. Uh, I, I would assume that everybody feels good. Uh, I think we have a little chip on our shoulder because we didn't uh, end the tournament the way we wanted to. 
And then uh, he was asked about would he draw uh, Gavin Williams, uh, you know, from anything from him a couple of years ago, his last postseason start uh, against Campbell, not uh, coming out the way you'd hope. Would he draw on any of that uh, here? This was his answer. I mean, no, not really. That's uh, two years ago. Um, can't really think about the past and what I did in the past. And then the follow-up was with that experience, uh, has that matured and hardened Gavin for the postseason run? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, I know what to expect. Uh, I've been there, so I know it's going to be allowed. I know everybody's going to be cheering, so I'm going to be able to handle my emotions uh, better this year than, than I did in the past. This is our Pirate Report. Gavin Williams, AAC pl- a Pitcher of the Year. Cliff Godwin, you heard from him a little bit ago, Coach of the Year in the American, and then Connor Norby, who, of course, the Player of the Year in the Loop. Uh, Gavin Williams asked about run support for his starts this year. I tell the guys when I come in there, just give me one run and I'll do the rest for them. But I feel like every inning they come in, uh, they're just going to keep uh, keep adding runs. Gavin Williams asked about uh, the excitement of pitching in front of a big crowd again. And uh, does that provide any extra juice or hype or does he kind of block all of that out? Uh, really block them out. Uh, don't really notice anything other than Coach Dietz giving me a sign and then Stump and everybody else behind me talking. And then uh, the question to the uh, players about uh, playing in these do-or-die games, I think was how it was meant. Uh, the term meaningful was used, but, uh, you know, certainly ECU went into the conference tournament knowing that they were going to be able to play in the uh, postseason, the regional that they would likely be hosting, but at the very least play in the regional. And uh, that was kind of a different environment for the other teams in the uh, AAC tournament down in Clearwater last week. Uh, so uh, the, a mindset question, in a sense, asked here about playing these meaningful and elimination uh, games now in the postseason. Uh, I, would, I would say every game counts or every game matters. Uh, if no games really matter, then we wouldn't be here right now. Connor Nor- That was Gavin Williams there. Connor Norby asked about uh, the uh, points of emphasis among the guys in the pirate locker room, just like I said earlier, handing our biz- our business as usual. Um, I mean, if we play our game and we play to the best of our ability, there's a good chance we're going to win. If we don't, there's a good chance we're going to lose. Um, you treat this, you can't treat this any differently, just because it's the regionals or whatever. You got to treat it like any other week. Connor Norby uh, there, also with Gavin Williams and Cliff Godwin. That portion of our pirate report. But wait, there's more. Some cuts we uh, didn't have the occasion to get to yesterday because of our interview with John Gilbert, also having Brian Mall on with the breaking news. Uh, but uh, we're hearing from a couple of ECU track and field athletes. Ryan Davis, who talked about shutting down last year due to uh, COVID. Uh, Ryan will be on the discus and hammer throw for the Pirates. He's an Olympic hopeful. Of course, the track and field in Eugene, Oregon next week. Let's hear what he had to say. Yeah, so we were kind of just starting up our warm up, our practice day. So, you know, you go to the meet, there's a practice day, and then you start the actual, um, the actual meet. Um, so I kind of got a couple warm-up throws or a couple practice throws in, and um, uh, then they kind of came over the intercom and said that uh, it was going to be canceled. And, you know, you could see, like, everybody, like, walking away crying, like, in tears, and, like, it was a really heartbreaking uh, moment. For me, um, you know, I was, everybody was really unsure about everything at the time. So um, I just had one of the best practices in the weight I've ever had uh, since throwing the weight. And, um, you know, now it's canceled. So I was, you know, very hopeful that they would 
like renew that time that we had and be able to, um, you know, redo that, um, that championship. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, they just, you know, gave everybody the All-American status and uh, just kind of moved it along with that. So, um, you know, uh, I still, you know, feel like there was some missing from um, that indoor season. But, um, you know, you kind of take the punches and roll with them. So um, I think I just kind of transferred that energy into, um, like, all that focus and the weight throw into the hammer. And um, I think that's where a lot of the success that I've gotten this far has been that focus so quite obviously that cancellation was a big uh, focus for and a big driving force for ryan davis who said that the uh, ncaa championship and getting that bid as an individual was a huge goal i think with me um it's one of those after um after having that ncaa indoor meet canceled um you know i kind of i was very timid about this season being canceled altogether and so um, even for that reason, I wasn't, um, I didn't practice with the team um, on campus for the fall semester. And um, I didn't know if it would, um, if we would still have the season. And so I think for me, I've just kind of been like focused on every, the next meet rather than like a long-term like championship or anything like that, just because I didn't want to kind of go through those same emotions of like a championship being canceled or anything like that. So um, for me, yes, it was always a goal, but uh in this season particularly, um, I kind of just took it one step at a time. And then he, he talked about representing ECU on this national stage next week. Well, it means a lot. You know, um, I talked, I spoke with someone um, yesterday or the day before, and um, we asked, he asked the same, a similar question. And um, I told him that, you know, ECU is like a family to me. You know, um, that was one of the reasons that I decided to come to ECU in the first place. So it really is is great to be able to do well with your family, you know, um, and they support me as much as I support them. So uh, it's great to be able to do well and um, have them there for me. All right. That is uh, Ryan Davis. He'll represent ECU at the uh, NCAA championships for track and field in Eugene, Oregon. And then in uh, a little more than two weeks, uh, an opportunity to earn a spot on the Olympic team for uh, Ryan. So a very uh, talented performer when it comes to field events uh, for track and field. And uh, I believe he'll be competing on Wednesday and then Summer Knight, who we're about to hear from, will be competing on Thursday next week uh, in Eugene, uh, Oregon for Coach Kurt Kraft's uh, pirate uh, track and field team. Uh, speaking of the junior pole vaulter, uh, here is Summer Knight. She discussed representing you, uh, ECU on uh, the national stage at the NCAAs. Um, you know, I was talking about this with somebody yesterday as well. It's an honor. Um, me and Coach Bree were talking a couple days ago and counting through the number of girls that are going to nationals in the pole vault that aren't power five. And there's about 10 of us out of 24. And it just means a lot to me to, you know, um, wear ECU across my chest and, you know, show the NCAA that you don't have to be power five to be a powerhouse. So, you know, and it's also a really big honor to be able to represent Coach Bree and Coach Kraft because, you know, the work that and effort that they put into me, um, you know, I wouldn't be here without them. Yeah, Coach Bree, of course, uh, Bree Berkowitz, a great uh, track and field performer, uh, especially the pole vault in her own right during her time at ECU and is a true uh, pirate. And our guy, Kurt Kraft, uh, best of luck to all of them as well. Uh, summer night talking about the NCAA championship. That's the goal. You know, making nationals and jumping 14 feet has been a goal since freshman year. Um, Coach Bree has us write down all of our larger goals. Uh, and smaller at the beginning of the year. And those have always kind of been on my list. 
but since everything that happened last year, you know, we were mostly focused on the progression and just kind of getting more comfortable jumping again. And so now that it's actually happening and I'm getting to check those goals off my list, um, it feels kind of surreal. All right. Uh, yesterday also uh, hearing from uh, the new softball coach for uh, ECU, Shane Winkler, uh, taking over the uh, program. This is Coach Winkler talking about his plans for Pirate softball. Uh, again, beyond excited for this opportunity. So just in front of you all, I want to thank John and Caroline and then J.J. McClam again for for first considering me, uh, but then giving me this, this opportunity here at ECU because uh, everyone knows how special of a place this is. Uh, you just have to look at the excitement going on this week with, with baseball hosting, uh, the track and field athletes going to nationals of, of the potential of, of this athletic department. Uh, and we're going to build that with, with the softball program as well. Uh, we're going to do it the right way. We're going we're to start on focusing on the student athletes, building solid relationships there. Uh, everyone talks about recruiting being the, the lifeline for your program, and, and it will be. Uh, but we've already started the, the recruiting with where the, our current student athletes, uh, really building relationship with them, building the culture of this program. But uh, I told them I'm, I'm not the type that wants to talk about two, three, four or five year plan. That's not fair to our, our seniors. We want to figure out how to be successful right away. Uh, so we've got some buzz going on with the players. Like, like John said, I'm passionate. Uh, but I'm also competitive. I, I, I want to be successful. I want to be successful right away. And I, I believe that's very, very doable here. Again, you just have to look across at what baseball is doing currently to see what the ceiling is for, for a pro program like ours. So we're, we're going to get after, we're going to hit the ground running, uh, but we're going to continue to build excitement for, for what we're doing. But again, completely blessed for, for the opportunity and excited to, to really get this thing built the right way. Uh, we continue our pirate report here. Uh, this is Shane Winkler uh, addressing the media, the new softball coach at ECU. He talked about recruiting, so let's go down and uh, and pluck that one, can we? Uh, pluck that one on the Vast Soundbite roster here. Uh, new pirate softball coach talking about Cruton. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been coast to coast my entire career. Like I said, I've done this 13 years, and I've, I've had players from all over the country uh, during those 13 years. So uh, we're, we're not going to leave any rock unturned to find the best talent we can. Obviously, we're going to start right here at home, uh, find the best talent we can in North Carolina. If I can lock down one of the best pitchers for sure in the state every year, we're, we're going to try to do that uh, just because we're going to obviously build in the circle first. Uh, but again, we, we want to keep the best players playing here. Uh, there's, there's too many players that are going elsewhere in other conferences that we can build a championship program uh, here within the state. But at the same time, if we're going to compete on a national level and we have the vision of this being a nationally competitive program, we're, we're, we're going to have to go coast to coast uh, and, and everywhere in between to, to find the best talent we can to, to get us to that level. So, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll hit it all. I've, I've got relationships from all over the country. I'm uh, bringing talent in. The amount of phone calls and texts that I have received over the past four days on players and coaches that are interested in their players, sending their players here have, have been Amazing. My phone's been ringing off the hook. So uh, we're, we're going to have all, all the opportunities and the resources possible to bring in some great talent. And he talked about the kind of style that he wants to uh, implement for ECU softball. Uh, all of the above. Uh, it, it starts it starts with pitching. Uh, we're we're going to need a couple arms that give us the chance to be competitive in every single game. Uh, obviously, check out the top teams in, in the American. They have a dominant pitcher. So we're going to need dominating pitching. Uh, my teams have always done a really good job offensively. 
Uh, we hit a lot of home runs this this past year and during my time at, at George Washington. So we'll always have a powerful team, but but I want athletes. We need to have uh, different ways to score. So uh, if we're hitting the ball out of the park and giving ourselves a chance to steal a lot of bases and uh, play an aggressive style of play, that's that's kind of my approach. Uh, we're going to be aggressive in every aspect of what we do. Our pitchers are going to be aggressive. Uh, our hitters will be aggressive. We'll be aggressive defensively, but we're, we're going to be the type of team that that takes the game to our opponent. So we, we always want to have that mentality, that energetic, aggressive mentality. All right, that is uh, new ECU softball coach Shane Winkler. Congratulations uh, to him. Uh, another thing that uh, – and this came out, I believe, while I was gone. I'm not sure if this is something that uh, was reported on or not during the uh, time I was away. And of course, we had uh, ECU uh, baseball on last week. Uh, but uh, – confirmation official official word would probably be the best way to put it of uh what was uh, announced uh last week or reported last week and that is ECU basketball will be uh taking on Liberty over in Charlotte to start the season that is part of the uh, basketball hall of fame shootout and if i'm not mistaken yeah it's going to be a quadruple header at the arena in downtown Charlotte where the uh, Hornets play uh NC State and Richmond, Virginia Tech and St. Bonaventure, Charlotte and Wake Forest, and then, of course, uh, ECU-Liberty. I believe right now uh, that that Liberty-ECU game is uh, slated to be the nightcap. So a long day of hoops uh, in December, about a week before Christmas. Our pal John Feinstein with us here at J. Feinstein Books on Twitter. Story time with johnfeinstein.com. Uh, 43 books, the best-selling author with us. He's got a column in the Washington Post today about Mike Krzyzewski, and that's uh, there's a million things we could always talk to John about, but uh, Coach K is kind of the focus today. Hey, John, no, it's busy. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us here this afternoon. Sure, Patrick. Always good to talk to you. As you look at this this whole Mike Krzyzewski legacy, what is the most impressive thing about it in your estimation? That's a good question. I, I think there are two different ways to look at it, Patrick. One is the obvious, all the wins, the championships, uh, more wins than any coach in history, 1170, uh, the impact that he made on Duke as a school, not just as a basketball team. Uh, he was, for the last at least 20 years, maybe more, uh, the school's chief fundraiser. Whenever they had a, a, a project they wanted to raise money for, they'd hold a fundraiser and bring Mike in, uh, no matter what the project was, the business school, law school, whatever. Uh, but it goes beyond. The, the second part, though, is is the man uh, and, and someone who I have had the chance to know for more than 40 years. And I, I living here in Maryland surrounded by angry Maryland fans who still can't get over the fact that, you know, Krzyzewski beat their, their team like a drum on such a regular basis. Uh, I actually get angry. I, I don't care if people attack Duke. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't care if people say dumb things about people in sports generally, but Mike's been a, a friend and, and, and a, a good friend for a long time. And, you know, people say, well, reporters are supposed to be objective. We're not objective. Nobody's objective about anything. You like certain people, you dislike others. Uh, the, the key as a reporter is to try to always be fair, yeah. no matter who you're writing about. I don't personally like Tiger Woods. I don't like the way he treats people. But when I write about him, I always acknowledge that he's the greatest player of all time. No, all due respect to Jack Nicklaus. 
and, and I think that that's where you draw the line. Are you being fair? Uh, are you willing to criticize someone you like? When Mike pulled a routine on the Chronicle reporters in 1990 when he read from their column in front of the team to embarrass them, I, I said to him, and I said publicly that he was wrong. He was being a bully. Um, but uh, my over, you know, I think the, the anecdote that I end the column on uh, that you read very much sums up who Mike Krzyzewski is because what he did that night was the kind of thing he does for people all the time. It was the night of my father's funeral. Mm -hmm. uh, Duke played North Carolina in a nine o'clock game that night, of course, nine o'clock. Uh, <laughs> and I actually fell asleep watching the game. You know, imagine me falling asleep during a Duke Carolina game, but I was completely emotionally and physically drained. And I woke up with about a minute to go and Duke was up by a couple and ended up winning by, I think four. And then of course I was too wired to go to sleep. So I sat down at my desk and started to try to do some more catch up on emails from people. And about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes later, the phone rang and I didn't have caller ID. I figured it was my brother or sister. I picked up the phone and a voice said, I thought you'd still be up. And it was Mike. Yeah. And I said, hey, great win tonight. Congratulations. He said, listen, I just called to tell you one thing. When I stepped into our last huddle there with 30 seconds left, I wanted you to know that I looked up at the sky and I said, Martin, this one's for you. I have no idea. I had no idea how he knew my dad's name. Um, but, to, you know, after a win like that, to think to pick up the phone and call and say that to me, that's who Mike Krzyzewski is. And, you know, when my brother was diagnosed with cancer 20 years ago, he's fine. Um, he's also a Duke graduate. Uh, Mike called and, and not only had a long talk with him, but at one point, my brother being my brother said, hey, can I give you some advice? Because the guy who at that point had won, I don't know, seven or 800 games <laughs> needed advice. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Mike said, sure, what is it? And he said, you should play Casey Sanders more. <laughs> and as, as you might remember, this was the 2000-2001 season, and Carlos Boozer got hurt at the end of the regular season. Yeah. Casey Sanders stepped in and started, and even when Boozer kept, came back, Mike kept starting Casey because they were winning. And Bobby, my brother, to this day, takes credit for that national championship. <laughs> um, but, I mean, if you were to talk to – a hundred people today who've known Mike Krzyzewski, I guarantee you every one of them would have a story like that. And that's the part of him that people don't see. That's, that's why, you know, when I'm reading on Twitter here that he, you know, faked his back injury in 1995, he had back surgery that he tried to get the NCAA to put the losses on Pete Gaudet. It was an NCAA rule that if, uh, an interim coach finishes the season, all wins and losses go on his record. If a coach comes back, they go on his record. Right. Um, and then stuff like that makes me angry because I know who the man is. Forget the coach. Best-selling author John Feinstein uh, with his coach K. Uh, the press conference earlier yesterday, the story broke that he is uh, going to retire at the end of the season. When you look at and I mean, hell, the ACC Network basically launched with the program, the, the class that saved Coach K. But would you look at yeah. how this is a, a, a thing that's built? My dad's an incredible Duke fan. I mean, I'll tell you how big of a Duke fan he is. He's He would go to the 0-12 football games. I mean, that's that's how much of a Duke fan yeah, he is. Yeah, you're a big Duke fan if you go to yeah, the football right. games. So, yeah. but I mean, 
you know, we would catch grief from Carolina fans growing up because, you know, your front runners and all when, when Duke really, but I mean, that was, he, he truly built that thing. Not that Duke had not had success. It had, uh, but this was a, 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 a truly in, in a lot of ways, and we can gets no credit for this in modern day because, you know, they're the Dallas Cowboys and New York Yankees now. Uh, but I mean, that was a kind of built from the grassroots hard work program. Yeah, no, it's funny that you say that because when I tell people that Duke finished last or tied for last in the ACC during my four years as an undergraduate, they don't believe me because they just assume that, you know, Duke came and when, when James Naismith invented the game in 1890, Krzyzewski was coaching at Duke and winning championships. And you're right. Bill Foster did have success, went to the national championship game in 1978. But when Mike took over after Bill left, the, the program was on its heels and no pun intended to Carolina people. Um, and his first three years, they were 38 and 47. And Mike will tell you if he'd had that record today and with social media and the Internet and all the stuff that goes on, he probably would have gotten fired. As it was, Tom Butters, who's sort of the unsung hero in this whole story, the athletic director who hired him and stood by him, was under incredible pressure from alums and boosters to fire him, that this guy can't get it done. Uh, He can't compete with Dean Smith, who had just won a national championship during Mike's second year, or Jim Valvano, who won a national championship during Mike's third year. And I tell the, the, you know, the sort of famous story at this point about being in the Denny's uh, with him after they lost 109-66 to Virginia to finish his third season in Atlanta. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was there with Mike and Bobby Dwyer, who was Mike's number one assistant at the time, and my buddy Keith Drum, who worked for the Durham Herald at the time and went on to be an NBA scout and was the only member of the North Carolina media in those days who – believed and wrote and said that Krzyzewski would turn it around at Duke given time. Uh, Keith's wife, Barbie was there. Um, and Tom Mickle, who you, I hope remember, mm-hmm. uh, who was Duke's SID at the time and Johnny Moore, his assistant were there. And yeah. when we sat down, it's two o'clock in the morning, pouring down rain and they served us water and, and Mickle held up his glass and said, here's to forgetting tonight. And Mike held up his glass and said, here's to never blanking forgetting tonight. And they beat Virginia the next 16 times they played him. And, but what came out of that dinner, and when Mike and I talked about it later, was that he realized that the 38 and 47 was no one's fault but his. That, 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 that was always the thing about Krzyzewski. He's a West Point graduate. When you're a plebe there, you're allowed three answers to an upperclassman. Yes, sir. No, sir. No excuse, sir. And Mike has always been a no excuse, sir guy. Uh, the one time he strayed from that was when he said there was a double standard for Dean Smith in 1984 after losing a close game in Cameron. And years later, he said, you know, I was completely wrong about that. The reason Dean won was because he was a great coach and had great players, not because of the referees. And, and, and of course, he, Mike ended up being the guy who people whined about getting all the calls. Uh, in fact, I had him on a radio show several years ago in late October. And I said, so how's your team look? And he said, you know, we played with refs for the first time yesterday in practice. We were terrible. We fouled on every play. And I said, oh, yeah, but the refs didn't call the fouls because nobody ever calls fouls on Duke. 
And Mike laughed and said, yeah, I know all those championships, all the games we've won. It's only because of the referees. I mean, he always kept his sense of humor right. about that, but you're right. They were bad. Yeah. And, and he had to re and that, 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 that class you're referring to the, the guys who graduated in 86, uh, you know, Johnny Dawkins, Jay Billis, uh, David Henderson, Mark Allery, Weldon Williams. And then a year later, Tommy Amaker came along to sort of complete the puzzle at point guard. Uh, that those two recruiting classes were what turned Duke around and allowed him to eventually become Coach K, all caps. Yeah. Uh, we got John Feinstein uh, with us uh, here. It's great to have John as we uh, talk a little bit about Mike Krzyzewski. We'll be entering his, his final year at the helm of the Duke program uh, next year. There was also, after that, when they did get good, uh, and would go to Final Fours and knock on the door, and then it was the, the thing that had kind of uh, been a curse of, of Dean Smith and uh, yeah. others as well is can he get over the hump and win the big one? We even hear that you know today with Mark Few to a degree. Uh, so that that was kind of the other part of that evolution that, again that I think is really overlooked is is that I think we you know there's there's a good decade or so of of Duke basketball under Mike Shashesky that modern fans you know, don't understand the, the, the plight to get to that point. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because two of the greatest coaches of all time and Dean didn't win the national championship till his seventh trip to the final four 82, the famous Michael Jordan shot and Shevsky didn't win the, win a national championship until his fifth trip in 1991, when they upset the same UNLV team, basically that had beaten them by 30 in a championship game the year before. And, you know, my most vivid memory of that particular final four uh, was at the end of the Vegas game when Anderson Hunt missed the last shot and Duke had won 79-77. The Duke players started jumping up and down to celebrate, which you understand. Mike runs out on the court with his palms down saying, stop it, calm down, calm down. We haven't won anything yet. And he remembered winning a very tough game against Kansas in 86 and Danny Manning in his first final four, and then having nothing left in the tank when they played Louisville, they were better than Louisville. They would have beaten Louisville eight out of 10, but they, they, they Mark Allery didn't have his legs after guarding Manning for 40 minutes. And David Henderson was exhausted and they lost the game by three, but he remembered that. And he knew he had to find a way to get them past the Vegas win in order to play Kansas on Monday night. And he did. That, that's the thing about Krzyzewski. In addition to not making excuses, he always learned from failure. Uh, that's what I meant about the, the Denny's in 83 when, when we were sitting around and people were making excuses and how about this? Mike basically said, no, no, this is on me. I have to get better. And if I don't get better, I, I remember him saying, because Bobby Dwyer mentioned that Tom Sheehy, who you might remember, very good player at Virginia, had committed to Virginia, but hadn't signed. And, and, and Bobby said, you know, he might still be recruitable at this point. And Mike said, no, no, first of all, we don't do that. He's made a verbal commitment. Second of all, if we don't win with these freshmen and, and, and Amaker, we should get fired. As in, I have to coach better. And he learned in 80, from the 86 experience that he had to have his team rested in 91. If you go back and look at the tape of that championship game, about 30 seconds before every TV timeout, he pulled Leitner 
so that Leitner could get some extra rest because he knew Leitner was exhausted from playing 40 minutes on, on Saturday against Vegas. And, and Leitner didn't have a great night, but he had a good enough night yeah. for them to win that game and, and to win that first national championship. But your point is well taken. It was never easy for him in, the, in those early years. First, it wasn't easy getting good. And then when they got good, it wasn't easy to start to win championships. I still remember reading a, uh, a quote-unquote joke written, not surprisingly, by a North Carolina graduate saying, "Why, when Mike Krzyzewski plays golf, why doesn't he play the, the, the last four holes? And the answer was because he doesn't do well on, on the final four before he won, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he, he went through a lot. And then, of course, they go to seven Final Fours in nine years, and then he has the back surgery that forces him to not coach. You know, and again, I've heard people, oh, he was faking it because the team wasn't any good. They were 11-3 and three when he stopped coaching right, that yeah, year. But, yeah. but, but the, the, the larger point is he actually went to Tom Butterton, offered to resign because he felt he'd let the team and the school down by being hurt. And he came back and it took a little while, but he completely rebuilt them to the point where they've won three more national championships since then. It was really after that uh, era uh, that, that of, of the injury and a, and a couple of middling years, and then they got, uh, you know, what they are today. Uh, I do want to ask you this, John Feinstein with us here. You've known him quite a while. Uh, Long time. How is he the same? How is he different from when you first met him? Well, the way he's he, – he's much more the same than different. Now, the, But the way he's the same is that he, he – as I said, one of his great qualities is his loyalty to people. Sometimes it goes over the top. He's so loyal to people. Um, but he's loyal – you know, uh, quick follow-up story on, on the Denny's night. Um, in 2010 – when I was working on a book called uh, One on One, which I know you and I have talked about, mm -hmm. um, I called him because a lot of that book was me going back to people I'd spent time with during my first 10 books. Mm -hmm. And I called him and I said, look, next Wednesday, whenever, you're going to play at UNC Greensboro and you're going to go past Dean Smith on, on the all-time wins list. He was at 879, and, and which is amazing when you think back to the 38 and 47 moments. And I said, I'd like to come down that day and spend some time with you. And he said, come on down, meet me in my office at 2.30. You can ride the bus with us to Greensboro. We'll talk on the bus. And when we get there, there'll be time before the game to sit in the locker room and talk. I said, great. So I, I drove down uh, that morning and I had lunch with Bill Brill, who I know you remember. Right. Yeah. And Mike Craig, who at that point was, was Krzyzewski's right-hand man and is now the AD at St. John's. Mm -hmm. And Mike said to me, so when are you going to talk to Coach K? And I said, well, on the bus going to Greensboro. And Mike gave me a look. And he said, wait, wait a minute. You came all the way down here to talk to him on a cell phone? And I said, no, I came all the way down here to talk to him from the next seat. <laughs> and Mike started shaking his head. And he said, no, no, something. You misunderstood something. Nobody, nobody other than the team and Mickey, Mike's wife, ride on that bus. I don't even ride on that bus when they travel. And I said, well, tell me what I misunderstood. And I went through what Mike had yeah. said. And he, and he started shaking his head again. And he said, why would he let you do that? Why? And I said, because I was in the blanking Denny's. <laughs> and, 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 and
and it's that he remembered. He's always remembered. He yeah. he brings that Denny's night up to me all the time. Yeah. Um, about how important it was in his life, and 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 in, by implication, you were there. But when I was still nobody, really, before I was Coach K, and he's loyal to his friends that way. That hasn't changed a bit. John Jackson, who is now in Mike Craig's job, gets furious with me all the time because <laughs> when I need to talk to Mike. I either call him or text him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he either calls me or texts me right back. Yeah. I mean, literally the other day I'm working on this book on uh, race and sports. And I wanted to talk to him. This is last week about the black lives matter video that he did, which if you haven't seen it, Patrick, you should go and look at it because it's very powerful, but I wanted to talk to him about it. So I sent him a text and I said, Hey, you know, whenever you have a few minutes, I meant like in the next week. Right. Can we, can we talk? Five minutes later, text came back and said, available now. And we jumped on the phone and talked. And the reason John Jackson gets mad at me is because his job is to insulate Mike. And I get that because he gets so many requests. And he said to me at one point, he said, you know, we have a system here that works for us. And you go around the system. And I said to him, John, if I go follow your system, there's maybe a 50-50 chance I'll get what I need. If I call Mike directly, there's a 100% chance I'll get what I need. Yeah. So why should I deal with your system? And he said, well, what makes you different? I said, I am different. That's just a fact of life. I'm sorry. You have to deal with that. You were in the I've known him more than 40 years. That's why. You were I in, the, in Denny's. the blank and Denny's. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but he's that way with his friends. You know, going back to the kids he grew up with. Uh, in Chicago, um, you know, who he played, played playground ball with, who he's still very close to, to this day. They, they played at the Columbus, uh, in the Columbus junior high school schoolyard, and they still call themselves the Columbos. The, the only, the one way that he's different is that he, he has been forced to understand that he can't say yes to everyone and everything. And that dates back really to the 95 thing with the back mm -hmm. because he, when he won the, the two national championships and went to the seven final fours, everybody, every folk coach who ever got fired called Mike Krzyzewski for help. Most of them still do, but he had to learn he couldn't do everything he was asked to do. But I will, again, and I'll go back to him and his loyalty. When in 2005, Tom Watson and I, started a charity golf tournament in Bruce Edwards' name. Bruce was Tom's caddy for 30 years. A good friend of mine died of ALS, and we started a charity golf tournament to raise money for ALS. And I needed a great dinner speaker for that first, first year. And I called Mike and asked him if there was any way he could do it, knowing full well how you know, difficult his schedule was. But he, and he just said, I'll be there. And I said, you know, how do you want me to get you there? Because Mike doesn't fly commercially. <laughs> I said, I'll pay for a plane. He said, stop it, John. I'll pay for the plane. Don't worry. I'll be there. He had never met Bruce Patrick. Mm -hmm. And he and I sat down before the dinner started. And he asked me, tell me everything you can about Bruce. And I did. And I'm telling you, by the time he was done, everybody in the room thought he and, and Bruce had been friends for 30 years. <laughs> and when he was finishing up, he said, look, everything you all have done tonight, today to raise money for this horrible disease is fantastic. You should all be proud of yourselves. But I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I'm going to ask you 
to take out your checkbook and write one more check. Write it for a dollar if that's all you think you can afford. But let's try to make as much money as we possibly can for this cause. We got another $25,000 from that, Patrick. Wow. We've raised $7 million total since we started this event. But I'm not sure we would have had a second year if Mike hadn't been there the first. So when, when people try to say stuff to me about him who've never met him, you better duck. <laughs> it's because you were in the Denny's. Uh, John Feinstein. I was in the Denny's, and, and I, 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 was, I was there for a lot of bad stuff that went on yeah. before that, too. I remember one game they played against Maryland, one of the worst games I've ever seen his second season when they were 10 and 17. And at one point, uh, I, it was in Cameron, and at one point, Mike somehow caught my eye, and he looked at me, just shook his head. And after the game, he said to me, if I were you, I'd have left. And, and and I said, well, unfortunately, I was working. And he said, unfortunately, so was I. <laughs> and also, let me just add one more thing. I know you got to go, but his sense of humor is so sneaky funny. And people don't give him credit for that. You know how the NCAA has this dumb rule where when you stand up to ask a question in an NCAA press conference, you're supposed to right. identify yourself? Yeah. I don't even know why. But so I, one day at an NCAA press conference, I, I stood up. I said, uh, John Feinstein, Duke Chronicle. <laughs> and Mike, without missing a beat, said, you're not good enough to work for the Chronicle. <laughs> um, and when I spent four days with I spent four days with him researching the Legends Club. And yeah. at the end of the fourth day, I said to him, you know, we give each other a hard time a lot. But I, I want you to know how much I appreciate all this time and your patience. And he said, well, no, John, I should thank you for this. I said, really? Why? And he said, John, I'm Catholic. When I die, I can tell God I've already been through purgatory. <laughs> uh, uh, last thing here. You know, I, I don't think he's frozen in amber. Obviously, he's evolved as the game has evolved. So I think the, yeah. the notion that with name, image, likeness, and the transfer portal, I'm not saying he's necessarily... And, you know, thrilled about all of this, but he has actually been a, an advocate of, of the name, image, and likeness and what's in the best interest of the player. Uh, again, not Very frozen, much. not frozen in Amber, but is this the end of an era? Well, it's certainly the end of an era. I, I, I mean, in, 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 in so many different ways to me, Somebody asked me yesterday, will John Shire have the hardest job in history following someone? Uh, and stepping into Mike's job, not his shoes. Um, and I said, there are three coaches to me who you put in that category, college basketball coaches. One is obviously John Wooden. And really, even though Jim Herrick did win a national championship, no one has ever really filled his shoes at UCLA. The other was Bill Guthridge following Dean Smith. And, and Dean was nice enough to leave Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson behind for him. Uh, and he went to two Final Fours in three years. And that wasn't good enough for Carolina fans. It wasn't until Roy Williams showed up in 2003 that they started to feel comfortable again. Uh, and now John following following Mike. And it, it's the end of an era, not, again, going back to what I originally said, not just in terms of all the games he's won and championships and all that. But Mike evolved into the conscience of college basketball, really. When there was an issue when there was a controversy, he was the guy people called. Certainly the guy I called. And, and, and the reason you called him 
wasn't because he was a great coach, but it was because, as Jay Billish put it, he was the smartest guy in the room. I think people miss that sometimes uh, because he's never been a guy to quote Shakespeare or anything like that. But I'm telling you, Mike Krzyzewski was the smart and is the smartest guy in the room. Uh, whenever I would call him to this day, I mean, even to, to last week when I called him on the Black Lives Matter thing, he always said something. I think I'm fairly bright, Patrick, but he always said something where I'd go, I never thought of that. That that that's Mike Shashevsky. I never thought of that. And I, as you read the column, so you know. But the way I ended it was by saying, you know, his his heart and his mind are, are both so big we can't calculate either. Always great to catch up with John Feinstein uh, at J Feinstein Books on Twitter, and then there's Story Time with JohnFeinstein.com, uh, author of 43 uh, books, the best-selling author. Hey, John, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Patrick, always my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Big thanks today to John Feinstein for taking a few minutes. Also, Brian Geisinger. No, he's been busy as well. ACCSports.com. Uh, always great to have uh, Coach Godwin, Pirate players, and other student athletes and uh, coaches on in our Pirate Report as we had for you today. Ben Byram, the producer. Uh, nice work as uh, always. Okay, we'll be back uh, tomorrow, and uh, we'll hopefully uh, have a, a Pirate victory to talk about uh, when we join you at 5 o'clock. It's going to be uh, one of those sort of uh, weather-pending situations, uh, but uh, stay with our social media. We'll kind of keep you updated as best we can. Uh, Pirates of Norfolk State set to open the regional uh, in Greenville. Should be a great and historic weekend here in our city, and uh, we'll uh, go through it all on the sports side for you tomorrow uh, for the Patrick Johnson Show. Have a great evening, everybody.